Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Medical Liability Minute. It's a podcast where we summarize modern medical legal threats to doctors in 15 minutes or less. The goal is to allow you to continue practicing great medicine with peace of mind. And I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Siegel, founder and CEO of Medical and Dental Justice, an organization dedicated to protecting physicians from frivolous lawsuits, internet libel, unwarranted demands for refunds, and a gazillion other medical legal threats. I'm joined today by my co-host, Mike Sakopoulos, who serves as our organization's general counsel. So we recently ran the most frivolous loss contest. It was the second time we ran it. We ran it 10 years ago. We just ran it again recently. And we had assumed we would get a handful of submissions, but um, actually we received scores of submissions. So many of you doctors who are out there, you're on the receiving end of getting love letters from attorneys who want to interact with you. So this will be a sto- this will be one of those stories, and we'll use it as a springboard for talking about some of the lessons learned. So here is a dermatologist. Patient was in his late 60s seen by a referring doctor for a mole that had changed uh, in appearance. Biopsy was done and a world-class pathology lab reads a sample. The lesion measures about um, 70 millimeters going to the base and the patient is referred to the dermatologist who one week later performs a definitive excision. So apparently there was a well-documented discussion about the risk and benefits of doing sentinel node biopsies which at the time, uh, as they are now, somewhat controversial in terms of the benefits, but no residual tumor was seen on permanent sections. Anyway, the patient healed well with no obvious uh, sequela, but a year later had a seizure while undergoing procedure at a local hospital. Um, so the patient was noted to have a tumor in the brain, and it was defined as a melanoma by the radiologist, uh, despite the patient uh, now also having a diagnosis of prostate cancer. That, that would be an active diagnosis of prostate cancer. Anyway, the referring doctor and the dermatologist were both sued for failing to diagnose and treat, in this case, metastatic disease uh, in a timely manner. So he had heard about medical justice at a recent meeting, called up and joined, and our general counsel sent a letter to the plaintiff's attorney notifying um, him of the dermatologist membership. So the dermatologist was dropped from the suit a week later, so high fives uh, all around, and the other doctor, I guess in this case, the referring physician settled. Um, there are a number of lessons uh, to be learned in this particular case, and, and I think the most salient one is that here you have, um, you have damages, meaning that the, in spite of there being um, you know, reasonable medical care, um, and even with clear margins and a negative um, lymph node biopsy, if metastatic disease suddenly appears, a lawsuit may may evolve. And it's based on the underlying um, issue, which would be, doctor, why did you not do more? Why did you not do everything humanly possible? You absolutely missed it. You blew it. Um, the obvious... Uh, Um, argument they're trying to make was that cancer was still lurking uh, in the body. Um, But interestingly enough, and and you got to remember this, it takes an expert to to propel a case forward. And this this particular case was in New York. And New York is one of two states that has something called trial by ambush. So what does trial by ambush mean? It means that 
you really do not know what the expert witness uh, for the plaintiff is going to say until you show up at trial. In virtually every other state, uh, other than New York, and I think Oregon is similar to New York, um, you can depose the expert before trial. By deposition, your attorney, the defense attorney, can ask the expert questions and probe to see what they're going to say. And, and there are times where the expert will actually agree that there was no violation of the standard of care, the doctor did what was reasonable, and accordingly the case will get dropped. But in this particular case, because it was in New York and because there's trial by ambush and there's no pretrial deposition, um, you don't know what he's going to say. So, you know, ideally it would be great to have no, no surprise, but because this case took place in New York, um, it became clear that a particular uh, case with a bad outcome, namely a patient with metastatic disease, could march forward mostly based on the fact the patient had a bad problem. Mike, jump in here. So the, I'm sure what our, our listeners are thinking is, oh my, what do we do so we don't have these kind of problems? And I think that there are a couple of different ideas and we can we can go through them uh, that, that may help you out. First is standardized discharge language and like you can't be expected to chart every last thing but if you have some standard information that you provide to patients that you can reference in your chart that does describe um, the existent potential existence of metastatic diseases and what the patient may want to do in the future. In this case, if you're a dermatologist, that's not really in your, your, your bailiwick to be uh, treating them um, long-term for metastatic uh, disease. So what, should the, what could the patient expect? You can have a fairly uh, lengthy discussion that you could provide that puts some responsibility back to the patient to do follow-up care and, and checking into and reference that in the, in the chart notes. It's not. It's not perfect. It doesn't make you bulletproof, but it does provide you something to um, something to talk about. And hopefully, many of you are already doing this. But Dr. Siegel, you raised a point that I thought was was really interesting: is how much care is 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 too much care? Because we could imagine someone saying the opposite, right? Not that you didn't provide me enough care, but that you just build the bejesus out of me by ordering every possible test you could find on the super bill and, um, you know, work, work me to death. And, and now I've got enormous um, financial responsibilities for tests that uh, in all likelihood are not that uh, beneficial to me. And we, we have that, that side of the coin to deal with. Uh, so what, what do you think about that? Yeah. So we call that the twin problem, the damned if you do, damned if you don't. In fact, I just got a phone call today it was from a pediatric practice and the, the patient or the patient's family was, they were freaking out because a relative had just recently gotten a diagnosis of cancer and the patient may have had some symptoms that overlapped even though the likelihood of this particular uh, child having cancer is quite low. So they wanted everything done. So the doctor you know, was a, was a good person and did their best to accommodate the family's request. And, Good news is all the tests were negative, so yes, that, that's a great outcome. But then um, two weeks later, um, they, and I, I don't even know why it took two weeks. That, that to me is amazingly fast. The bills started coming in, and the, the lab entity, I think in this particular uh, case, Quest um, 
looking for about $3,000. And the family freaked out, went back to the pediatrician and said, you've got to be out of your mind ordering all these tests. We don't have $3,000. Now, I have no idea why the insurance company had not pre-negotiated some type of discounted rate. And it may very well be the the patient's family uh, had no insurance and maybe this was cash pay out of pocket. But um, so what was the family requesting? Well, they wanted they wanted the pediatrician's practice to uh, make up the Delta. They said, there's no way we're going to pay for it. You got to pay for it. You ordered it, you pay for it. And so this, of course, is leading to a conflict. You know, what is the practice um, responsible for? Of course, they're responsible for practicing good medicine and making the, the proper, um, doing their best to make the proper diagnosis and ordering the proper test, but they didn't sign on to underwrite um, all of the patient's bills. I think this may ultimately resolve itself by having the, having the practice pay a portion of this bill, and then they'll probably discharge the, uh, the patient and the family from the practice just because this is, this is probably a giant red flag. But the, the other thing that's kind of interesting is that ordering a gazillion test is not always risk-free. And here's an example that, um, that illustrates that point. And, and it's funny because a plaintiff attorney will often say, you got to do more, you got to do, you got to do more. And just think about it. Um, X-rays in general um, are associated with some modest amount of radiation. A CAT scan of the entire body is associated with a not insignificant amount of radiation. But I remember someone was getting an insurance physical and got a routine chest X-ray and it looked like a, um, a calcified nodule that had likely been there for a number of years. And the easiest thing to do would be to tell the patient, hey, look, uh, here's a calcified nodule. It's likely been there for a number of years. I think the index of suspicion for worrying about it is, is quite low, um, but it's not zero. And so I'm going to recommend we follow this with a follow-up x-ray in six months. Well, that's not what happened here. Here they ended up um, ordering a CAT scan, so let's crank up the radiation, and there was no new information to be gained from that. And then they suggested, um, hmm, maybe get another imaging study, which didn't really yield any other insights. Then stick a needle in it. So they got a, um, they did a biopsy, and unfortunately, dropped the lung, giving, <laughs> giving the patient a pneumothorax. Then they, to treat the pneumothorax, they stuck in a chest tube and um, injured the intercostal nerve going, um, which, which supplied the, uh, the chest wall. And the, this patient was in horrific uh, pain for about half a year, which would be about the time it would take to have gotten the follow-up <laughs> x-ray. And you can only imagine what the biopsy of this calcified nodule was. It was benign calcified nodule. So there was no reason to go through this excessive workup. And I have no idea what bills were generated here, but just think about the safety impact associated with that. What do you think about that, Mike? Well, it's, um, I kept hoping for a really good ending uh, to it, but it, it sounds like it ended right where we thought it, thought it might. Um, poor, uh, poor patient, but um, I don't know. Do you, do you try to claim victory and say at least you know now? That it's okay. Uh, if they, at that point, you got a patient who's been been through a, through an awful lot, and is a, unfortunate. But yes, we've seen these. They're much more rare than the cases that are you didn't do enough, right? But occasionally we do have these cases that you have done too much, and we've also seen it 
um, not so frequently now with pain medication, right? Uh, that we're trying to get people um, to take take less opioids and so restricting that. And now we've seen some cases where people step forward and say, uh, you're just not prescribing uh, enough enough medication. So um, it goes it goes both ways and it does put practitioners in a, in a tough position. Uh, you know, it's funny. We do seem to oscillate between two, two extremes. Uh, doctor, you didn't order enough or doctor, you overordered. Uh, doctor, not enough pain medication. Doctor, too much pain medication. Uh, I think the the only logical conclusion is that it's not easy practicing medicine, correct? That That's right. And that I think most juries and most experts are sympathetic to that, provided that there is some rationale for the behavior of the, of the provider. And that's where charting goes in. If people can follow, follow the mental process by which treatment was either rendered or, or withheld, they're normally sympathetic to that. But if they don't understand the process, it's much easier to criticize. So I think it unfortunately puts you in a position of trying to explain yourself in a, in a chart uh, to avoid these kind of claims. Darcy, do, do you agree with that? That may be a position that some people don't, don't agree with. I, I think that if you do have your story in there, it allows you to at least say, I thought about it. And in the process of thinking about it becomes a judgment call. If the chart is silent on this and there's no information in it whatsoever, the plaintiff is going to make the argument right or wrong that, doctor, you weren't even thinking about this. It, it didn't even enter your head. So if it's a careful, carefully thought out rationale as to why for the moment it makes sense not to order test X, Y, and Z and how you may order it you know, down the road if the patient um, has continued or new symptoms. I think that plays, plays better than if the chart is just a blank scrap of paper and you're trying to fit your new narrative to, uh, into, um, into the explanation to the jury sometime down the road. What do you think? Uh I, I, I agree. Now, look, we're, we're butting up against our, our 15 minute allotment here, but there was one more point that I think we need to address. And that goes to lab results. You, you, you touched on this uh, briefly, but there is this general pervasive feeling out there in the public that no news is good news. If they don't get a lab, lab results back, therefore everything must be okay. And we've seen a number of cases where that uh, sadly ended uh, tragically. Um, so, Maybe you want to briefly touch on that before our time expires. Yeah, the public's default assumption is uh, no news is good news. The, the default assumption needs to be changed to no news is no news. And <laughs> all test results, good or bad, really need to work their way back to the patient. Now, the thing, it is good that we have patient portals so patients can access um, a great deal of information that otherwise was uh, kept, kept from them. Uh, but how many people are actually using a patient portal? I think it, we're probably still in single digits for, for many practices. So I think you do need and want to educate your patient to let them know that if, you, if, if for whatever reason they've not heard from you in some reasonable time period, be make it one week, two weeks, et cetera, that it is their responsibility um, to call you and to make sure, and in fact, I've seen one practice where they did a nice job with this. They have a sign on their door as the patient is exiting, which says, no news is not necessarily uh, good news. No news is no news. If you've not heard from our practice about your lab test within 10 days, please call our office and your office visit is free. 
So what have you done? You've actually pre-educated the patient with the context that no news is no news, but more importantly, you've incentivized the patient to be uh, reminded to call your practice, meaning that you've given them a reason to call your practice. They're going to try and collect, uh, collect their lottery ticket, although it's not much of a lottery ticket in this particular case. So I think um, this sums up the salient points today, and we hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us, everyone. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MEDJUST. That's 1-877-MEDJUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epizen Frank O News at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336 358 5587. We offer discounts for large groups and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.